Hey, welcome to Conversations with Ben Dixon. Thank you for tuning in. In this podcast, we like to take a look at important topics through a biblical lens with the hope that we can encourage and equip you. Listen, you can always go to YouTube and watch these. Just type in Ignite Global Ministries. Make sure to click the bell for notifications. You can also download these audio podcasts on Apple or Spotify. Thank you for not only tuning in, but sharing these with your friends. You can also always go to conversationswithbendixon.com and pick up the old episodes and find all kinds of other content and material on there. Normally we have a special guest, but every now and again, it's just going to be me. So look forward to many other special guests in the future. But today I want to talk to you about a biblical perspective or a Christian perspective on homosexuality. For some, this can be a touchy topic, but in the Bible, it's actually quite clear. And so we want to dive in and we simply want to talk about this the way that the Bible does, because that's the most important thing, right? If we were really to talk about what everything is all about or what is underneath all of our conversations from a Christian perspective, it is what does the Bible say? So that's what I want to present to you today as we talk about something as important as homosexuality, at least in our generation. Now, here's the deal. Every time we talk about sexuality or in in specific homosexuality, we understand that this topic affects all of us. We all have friends. We all have family members, neighbors, coworkers. We know people that call themselves gay. We know the transgender movement is something that is huge on the earth today. It's a topic of debate. People are always talking about it. In fact, if you don't believe that God makes people gay or homosexuality and this sexual orientation is just normal and people are born with it, and this is just the way things are, if you don't accept that and agree with that, the, the culture labels you a bigot. It labels you as somebody who hates people. And I'm going to present to you a different perspective today because I believe that we can actually disagree. And as it comes to these types of things, where in the culture, it seems like it's one of the most important important things, we can disagree on these topics and we can still love people. And that's one of the things that I want to share with you today, and that's really important. But let's just size this up for a moment before we dive into some of the practicalities of what the Bible says and specifics. I just kind of want to remind you how far we have come in the world today. I remember in 1997, most of you know who Ellen DeGeneres is. She was the lead character of the ABC sitcom. Uh, it was called uh, it was called Ellen at the time, not the Ellen DeGeneres show, but back when she was on the sitcom Ellen, she was the lead character. And in 1997, she came out as the first openly gay woman or person that was a lead character on television at the time. And there was such a backlash when she did that, that many of the affiliate networks didn't even want to air the show. And so it was deemed that she was sort of like a hero. And this was like the massive deal back in 1997. And she had all this courage to do that. And uh, many would agree with that and say that was absolutely the case. And that was there was a flashback. There was a disagreement, not even in just the Christian world, but actually in the secular world, just in the world that we live in. It wasn't accepted back then. Now you fast forward to 2013, a lot of you would know what Duck Dynasty is and who Phil Robertson was. And his show was actually suspended for three weeks when he shared some of his views on homosexuality. And actually, here is what he said. He said uh, in an interview, everything is blurred on what's right and what's wrong. 
He said, sin becomes fine. Start with homosexual behavior and just morph out from there. And then he goes on to really quoting uh, Leviticus 18. Uh, Bestiality, sleeping around with this woman, that woman, and that woman, and those men. And then he quoted a passage from the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. And that reads, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So Phil in this interview was just very relaxed. He was talking about his view. He was quoting scripture. And he was suspended. In fact, he was fired uh, from his show, Duck Dynasty, and they suspended it for three weeks. And they later hired him back because the entire cast, for the most part, took a stand and said, if you fire Phil, we're gone and uh, broke contract. And I wanted to show to you these pictures in the culture. These are 17 years apart. 1997, Ellen DeGeneres comes out as the first lead character of an ABC sitcom, Openly Gay, and the backlash is so strong that they don't even want to air the show. And and then 17 years later, Phil Robertson gives his view, which is more of a Christian perspective on homosexuality. And he's a pretty raw, rugged person. So, of course, he didn't explain himself. He didn't seek to have like an incredible amount of compassion for the struggle of same-sex attraction or anything like that. He was just sort of stating for the record um, his views at his age and his stage and what he's seen in the culture. And uh, certainly not everybody would say it the same way, but he has a Christian perspective. And in 17 years, you, you see in one sense, there's almost like this shame over the issue of homosexuality and, and this isn't normal. And then it's so normal that if you say anything against the perspective that this is is normal. This is accepted. This is this is what people should believe. You're a bigot, and you should be censored. And now that was in 2013. In 2021, we know it's gotten even worse. So if you do not believe that people are either born gay, or gay is to be celebrated, or it is normative, and same-sex marriage is normative, you don't. If you don't believe that, then you are in the minority, and you need to be silenced, and censored, and punished. And that is the perspective. Because if you don't agree, then you cannot love. If you don't agree, then you are harmful. And that is the narrative that is out there today. And it's very important for Christians to, number one, ask, what does the Bible say about sexuality and homosexuality? And then number two, how do we navigate a world that disagrees with us? And can I tell you up front, the world disagrees with the Bible and the Christian perspective on darn near everything. So this is not abnormal to the Christian. In fact, we've got to learn to be in the world and not of it. We have to learn how to navigate a world that will not agree with us without compromising truth. And I want to tell you today, it is possible. You and I can navigate the world that we're living in. We can love when there is disagreement. We can speak in wisdom. We can speak in a way that is respectful, but still disagreeing. We can lead people to truth, even though they will adamantly say that we are wrong. There are There are ways for us to go about this, and the Bible is our guide, and everything is about the authority of Scripture. So, as I begin to talk about this from the Scriptures and just unveil the Bible and the different 
passages that talk about this. I want you to know the underpinning of my conversation unashamedly is that the Bible is God's word and it is authoritative for the believer's life. So if you're listening to me today or you're watching and you're saying, you know, you're crazy and I don't agree with you and you don't know what you're talking about, it is most likely because you don't believe that the Bible is God's word. And so I can understand that. We would have to have that conversation first. But assuming that the Bible is God's word, let's first take a look at not just what the Bible says about homosexuality, Let's look at what the Bible says about sexuality, because we have to contextualize homosexuality in the overall conversation if we're going to talk about it. And this is what we call a biblical sexual ethic. Some people call this a Christian sexual ethic. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we know it references that God created men and women. Genesis chapter 126, we've talked about that many times on the podcast and also on uh, during my sermons at our church. But here's what Genesis 2.18 says. Uh, After God created Adam, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And the rest of the passage talks about how God fashioned Eve and brought the woman to the man and the two shall become one. And that's what Genesis 2.24 says. And I always say this whenever I officiate a wedding, it says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one one flesh. God tells them in Genesis chapter one to increase and multiply. And that is a sophisticated way of saying, have sex and make babies. So God first here creates a heterosexual relationship between a male and a female, and he tells them to have sex, which would have children. So the first and an important point of sexuality is for procreation. Now, we know it's not the only reason that God has given us sex or allowed us to have sex or given us the gift of sex, but that is a very primary purpose for our sexuality. One man and one woman in covenant relationship, which we call marriage, and that children and legacy would come from that. Now, sometimes people will say, well, are you saying that procreation is the only reason that we should have sex because their argument is against uh, heterosexual only, and so they're saying homosexual relationships and sexuality is fine because procreation is not the only purpose. Well, that's not a great argument. Uh, Number one, it's the primary purpose, but secondarily, when we read in the book of Song Song of Songs, we, we read about a relationship between a man and a woman, and there's passion and there's pleasure, but this still is found between one man and one woman in the covenant relationship called marriage. But from this point on, all we read about in the Bible, and listen to me when I say this, every single passage in the Bible concerning a healthy expression is solely based in the context of a heterosexual relationship between one man and one woman in covenant, which we call marriage. And we read verses like this, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse four says, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all those who are sexually immoral. Now, this is really important because God is the judge. Why? Because God is the one who created us. God created us a certain way. He's the designer. He understands the design, and that's what we want to follow. We're not trying to do it our way or how we feel or what we like or what we're attracted to. We're saying, God, how did you make us? What did you make us for? What is that supposed to look like? And help us to live out your design. God's the designer. So every verse in the Bible talks about husbands and fathers 
fathers. It talks about brothers and sisters, uh, wives and mothers. And so when you just contrast that to the world out there where we're saying that a person can be born a man and say they're a woman, and they can be born a woman and say they're a man, and we can change that based on our own decision and everything else is a social construct. It's simply not true. We have to go back to the Bible and say, what does it say about how God created us? And it's very, very clear. And that's why the Bible continues to make these references. You can't study the Bible and come to another conclusion because it basically upholds mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. And this is how God designed it. And so there is a lot more to talk about, but the Bible speaks of all sexual expression outside of marriage uh, and the marriage bedroom as sinful. First Thessalonians chapter four and verse three, it says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. So Christians being set apart for God, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel and sanctification in honor and not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. The word abstain here does not just mean to not practice something. It means to be distant from it. We need to distance ourselves from all forms of sexual expression outside of God's design. The word here for sexual immorality and almost every other place in the New Testament, it's sort of like an umbrella phrase. It's a catch-all phrase for every kind of sexual expression outside of God's intended purpose for one man and one woman inside the context of marriage. And that refers to anything. It's not just homosexual action. It's also pornography or looking at these kinds of things, um, masturbation, I believe, all forms of sexual expression outside of God's provision between one man and one woman in covenant faithfulness. We must remember that the Jews uh, had the law containing the moral prohibitions, and the Gentiles were raised in a culture that tolerated and even celebrated sexual immorality. They encouraged it, which is why you see Paul address this many times in the New Testament. Uh, sometimes people will say crazy things like Paul was sexist or Paul was uh, always talking about sexuality. Uh, yeah, Paul was talking about sexuality because the deviant culture that they were a part of was such that you would go to a temple and worship a deity by sleeping with a or many prostitutes. That was normative. The normative experience, even for married couples, they would literally go and sleep with prostitutes and bring an offering to worship one of their gods. Paul lived in that culture. He planted churches in that culture. And so, yeah, he addressed churches and Christians who had come out of paganism and even many who were still tempted by it. Homosexuality was a normal expression uh, among the pagan culture. And so people slept with everybody and he was speaking to that all the time. So the call to abstain was a call to sanctification. It was a call to holiness and keeping ourselves in such a way as to restore the dignity that God created us for. That when we look in the mirror and we think about what scripture teaches, we realize that we were created by God and his design for God's pleasure and for God's blessing for what he says is right and righteous and true. And so God's provision for sexuality in the Bible is celibacy for the single and fidelity for the marriage and there are, and for the married. And there is no, um, there is no allowance for homosexual expression or activity at, at all. You cannot find it in the Bible. 
So whenever people say that Christians are bigots or they are hate-filled, actually there are many people that call themselves Christians that are unkind, that are unloving, that are um, bashing other people, that are judgmental. Okay, fine, that's very true, but it doesn't mean that what they're saying is wrong. And that's the, that's the reality is that just because somebody is right in, in, in what they're saying, it doesn't mean how they're saying it is right. And so sometimes I can agree with people and say, yeah, we shouldn't say it that way or we shouldn't go about it that way, but it doesn't mean that the truth is wrong. And so we can never judge truth by the way that a messenger handles the message, okay? Because that's that's really, really important. Just because somebody mishandles what they're saying does not mean what they're saying is entirely wrong. You have to look at the message itself. And so here's the deal. Just because I'm going to disagree with people that think a certain way about homosexuality as a normative experience and the sexual orientation is just, is just normative and some people have it and it's given by God and it can't be taken away. Listen, just because I'm going to disagree does not mean I can't love people. And you need to know that right away. The Bible gives us our design. The Bible gives us our marching orders. The Bible shows us what we do with any kind of difference that we might have in our feelings and our thoughts and our opinions and our views as it pertains to sexuality and any other issue. The Bible always dictates our attitude. So what does the Bible say specifically about homosexuality. Now that we've talked about sexuality, it's very, uh, very clear. All sexual expression outside of the context of marriage between a man and a woman is considered sinful. Let me just read you, okay? I'm just, it's kind of teachy today, but let me read to you all of the verses that explicitly talk about homosexuality. The first one is Leviticus 18.22. This is considered the moral prohibitions in the Levitical law. It says, do not lie with a man speaking to a man, as one lies with a woman. That is detestable, all right? This is something God did not only create you for, but uh, some translations would say it's an abomination. Leviticus 20.13 says, If a man lies with a man as one lies with a woman, both of them has, have done what is detestable. They must be put to death. Their blood will be on their own heads. Why did this get said? This got said because... The Israelites had come out of Egypt, and they were under this very pagan uh, culture, uh, polytheism, worshiping all kinds of other gods. Every type of sexual expression was allowed, tolerated, celebrated. They came into the wilderness. God is giving them His way, His uh, econ economic system, His uh, laws, His commands. Uh, those commands are based on His blessing. God knows who we are, how we are, and what we're to live, how we're to live life. He gives the Israelites all of those commands for their own good, and He basically says, as you go into the promised land, I want you to understand who you are and how to be. And if people deviate from that, you need to deal with it severely because it will create a culture within a culture. And so it was very severe. Make no mistake about that. We're not brushing over that as though that scripture isn't severe. God was saying you have to deal with the deviancies in a very severe way as they were creating new culture coming out of paganism in Egypt and then going into the promised land 40 years later. Because as you see, when you follow the story of the Bible, they follow all kinds of sexual expression and it leads them down every path imaginable and it is destructive. Romans chapter 1 and verse 26 it says this, Apostle Paul speaking, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned their natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. 
men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Very clearly, this is uh, the Apostle Paul in chapter 1 of Romans. He is condemning these forms of sexual expression, and he's actually saying what Leviticus 20 is going to warn the Israelites of. He's saying that people that persisted in their rebellion and worshiped the creation rather than the creator, they destroyed themselves, they destroyed their generation, and they did it because they were full of lust and perversion, and they did whatever was right in their own eyes, and by doing that, they denied the God who loved them and created them. See, our broken sexuality is something that actually affects our generation. If we persist in broken sexuality, it affects everybody. People often think, hey, this is, this is my choice. This doesn't affect anybody else. What I do in private, what I do with my loved one, what I do with the person that I call my, my partner or my spouse, it doesn't affect other people. Yes, it does. It absolutely, I mean, our choices absolutely affect everything around us. And the, and the fact that some people don't believe that is part of the problem. And this is why the Bible addresses it. Jude chapter one and verse seven, he's talking about um, Sodom and Gomorrah here. He says, in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. And they serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Why would he say that? Because he's talking about how far disobedience goes and that deviant sexuality is one of those things that leads us into a type of lifestyle that is so far from how God created us. It, it actually takes the dignity right out of us. I know this is something that some people would disagree with, but we've watched that happen. It steals, it robs the dignity and the design of God. And when you worship God as the created, you worship the creator, you give back to him in the fullest and the best expression of your design. And you say, I'm going to be who you made me to be. I'm going to live how you said is best. And I'm going to receive the blessing that comes on that. When we move away from that and we say, I'm going to live however I want. I'm going to love whatever I want. I'm going to be however I want. We're not worshiping the creator, the one that designed us. And so Jude is saying that Sodom and Gomorrah, which is where we get our term sodomizing in, in homosexual expression, he's saying that those cities, not only did they give themselves over to sexual perversion, but it brought on a kind of destruction that God had no other choice other than to judge. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8, I got two more uh, verses here that explicitly talk about homosexuality. He says, Paul saying to Timothy, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that law is not made for the righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God for which I have been entrusted. Now, Paul is recalling the moral prohibitions of the law minus putting people to death. He is simply saying that the law condemns sin in the flesh. He's saying law condemns our sinful practices and God is the one that is given to us the truth. And we, we need the law in order for us to have the conviction of our sin, which leads us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. He was the steward of the gospel of Jesus given to the Gentiles. And he was saying the law was good. First Corinthians chapter six and verse nine, our final verse here 
that explicitly talks about homosexuality. There are other verses that talk about it, especially when we use the Greek word, Greek word pornea, which is the sexual immorality, and that is an umbrella term used several times in the New Testament. But I don't want to hit all those verses. I'm just going to summarize them. Here's the last explicit one. Uh, verse 9, 1 Corinthians 6, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived that neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the spirit of our God. He's saying you used to do these things, but now that you're in Christ, this is no longer who you are. And that's the importance of the issue of identity. And people say, I am gay. This is the expression of identity. And that's not something that I would agree with. It's not, it's not the way that we want to see ourselves. Our attractions are, are not our identity. And we have to realize that. So I don't label myself in, my, um, in, in any other thing than I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. And that's how I identify myself. I'm in Christ. I'm a son of God. And I think this is really an important part where he's saying, you used to be this. You used to do this. You used to be like this. Now, everything that you are is found in Christ. That's your identity. And these are the primary verses that we refer to. Um, again, I could go on and talk about fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters, and that touches on gender and uh, difference. And that's very, very clear. Sometimes people will say things like, well, Jesus never said... Uh, anything about homosexuality or or being gay or homosexual expression or same-sex marriage, uh, that's not entirely true. For, first of all, there's so many problems with people saying stuff like that. First would be this, Jesus, uh, if you say Jesus never said, you're assuming and you're stating directly or indirectly, that Jesus didn't agree with the law. He was a first century rabbi. Jesus agreed with the law. Ladies and gentlemen, it's very important for us to recognize that. Number two, uh, it's implying that Jesus didn't agree with the Father or the Spirit, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Trinity, one and three, three and one. Are we assuming, are we saying directly or indirectly that Jesus didn't agree with the Spirit's uh, outworking of the law being written in the Old Testament? And Yahweh's voice of affirmation in all of this? Are we saying that somehow the God of the Old Testament is not the same as the Son of God in the New Testament? Are we saying there was some disagreement in the Godhead, that they're co-equal, but they don't all agree, right? And one person would write something different than the other, and that's why Jesus was silent on it, because he has nothing to say about it. That's just sort of a weird perspective, and if you ever run into somebody where they talk to you about that, or if you've ever said that, please don't say that again. That's just not something that you want to say, because the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are all in agreement. And that's why the Bible completely thoroughly from Genesis to Revelation is God's word, and we need to rightly divide it and understand it. So we've talked a little bit about sexuality and the context of God giving to us sex and what that is, covenant faithfulness and relationship between a man and a woman. And that's where the expression is found. And that's what it's for, both for procreation and for pleasure. Secondarily, we've talked about homosexuality and just what the Bible says, very, very clear, condemns homosexual action. But here's the deal. How do we navigate with a biblical view or a Christian perspective uh, the issue of homosexuality in a world that's not going to agree with us? Now, maybe you're watching me and you don't agree with me. 
that's fine. I'm giving you a biblical sexual ethic. This is, this is where Christians should stand on this. There, are, there is liberal theology, gay theology. Um, it doesn't, it's not in keeping with the Bible. Uh, it's a very minor interpretation for people to say, well, this little Greek word means this. And every time we start going down those roads, scholarship is not on that side. It's very clear what these things mean, especially when you take into the whole account of uh, clear gender distinction and all of that, which God honors in what he designed between the issue, in the issue of family. But when we navigate this issue with people, there are a lot of things that are going to come up. And I just want to share with you some things that came to my mind that I wrote down that I think could be helpful for us to walk this out with real people in our real world. And the first one is this, attraction and behavior are not the same thing. All right. So this is important for us to realize attraction and behavior are not the same thing. In other words, attraction is not the same as action. Uh, I meet people pretty regularly that are attracted to the same sex. And there are others that are just curious about it. And I can't answer why all the people that I've met are attracted to the same sex. I'm not here to answer that question spiritually, psychologically. I can say just at a base level, what we know from scripture is that we're all born with a sinful nature. We're all born with a bent to have temptations toward things that God says, do not do. We, we all have a desire. Every person has a desire to do things they shouldn't do. Every, every person has a temptation to think things they shouldn't think. The question is, are we going to act on those thoughts? Are we going to let them pass through our mind? And what we have to learn how to do, no matter what the issue is, and we're talking about homosexuality today, is we've got to let things be a thought, but not become an action. So here's something I've helped a lot of people with that actually have uh, same-sex attraction, and I would call it unwanted same-sex attraction. I tell them homosexual temptation, it's a struggle in essence but it's a sin in action, okay? Just like anything else, homosexuality is not, a, it's not uh, necessarily this more egregious sin than any other ex uh, sexual expression outside of uh, covenant faithfulness in marriage, but it certainly is a sin in action. And so we need to understand that, that if you're plagued with thoughts and feelings and you're like, I just have these attractions and I, here's, there are a lot of people that do. There are a lot of people that have attractions to the same sex or other things, and they know they ought, they ought not act on them. And, and, and God can help you with that. But you need to realize, number one is attraction is not action, and it's not identity either. And so just remember that you can come to God with your thoughts and your feelings. Feelings are real, but they're not always right. Number two, homosexual sin is, is not worse than other sins. When I was growing up, uh, just to make this very clear... I do think that a lot of people who had same-sex attraction were not well-served because in the past, uh, this was, uh, and, and I, and I want to be very clear, not just by Christians, people, okay? When I brought up to you in 1997 that the, the, the Ellen show, um, they didn't want to air that show. That was not Christians that were saying, don't do that. This was in the world. Um, the people that I knew that said uh, gay people are bad and homosexuality is horrible, they were not Christians. When I grew up and the boys in my neighborhood who did what, quote unquote, gay bashing, I was not one of them, but the jokes that were made, none of those boys were Christians. None of the people that I grew up around were Christians that were saying these things or doing these things. So I just want to make that really clear. I know the church gets blamed for all this stuff, like it's the church's doctrine and it's the church's actions. There are a lot of Christians that don't act properly. 
They don't steward the truths of scripture in the right way. That's certainly true. But can I just tell you, like, let's stop acting like people who are non-Christians haven't made these mistakes or done just as bad or worse. Because when I grew up, I was actually shaped more by the non-Christian perspective against gay people than I ever was with Christian perspective. So that's really important for us to stop and remember. I can remember all of the jokes that I ever heard about gay people and about homosexuality. They never came from Christians my entire life. That was never the case. In fact, I have experienced a lot of refreshing perspective and love toward those that call themselves gay from Christian people. I learned and was shaped on how to love people that differed from me or had different perspective than me by Christian people. So my perspective is completely different than how the world sort of labels Christians and says we're the worst thing in the world uh, pertaining to those that are struggling with same-sex attraction and sending them towards suicidal desires and thoughts and feelings. Um, There's a long history where that's not the case, okay? And we've just got to stop and actually question these thoughts and ideologies that are coming out today. But I would say to Christians in particular and anybody listening or watching me today that homosexual sin is not worse than other sins. And we need to make sure that we see it that way, that it's, it is sexual sin, and God deals with it just the same as all other sexual sins. And we need to come to Him in faith and repentance. Uh, people that have same-sex attraction should not be labeled. Uh, we can help each other. We need to walk with each other. We need to love each other in our struggles. And that's a really important part of the future and moving forward and, and understanding this and getting a handle on where we go from here. The third thing is you can disagree in a healthy way. You can make a point without making an enemy, and we don't have to wait for other people to do this for us and try to sort of help massage the conversation. I think there is a way we can handle ourselves and hold ourselves in having a Christian biblical sexual ethic. Um, I do not believe that gay marriage or expression is in keeping with God's words or ways, and I don't flinch when I say that. I don't have a problem saying that. I could say that to anybody. I've been called a bigot. I've been called hate-filled. I've had those things said to me, and that's totally fine, and I don't get upset. I don't get angry. I don't get mad. I don't need to debate people. I just need to lovingly explain the perspective that I have from Scripture, and I think if Christians did that more often, we might get listened to. We might not, but at least our explanation would be more clear, and it doesn't have to be exacerbated by anger or getting heated in debates. We just want to talk um, about this very, very clearly. I've got lots of examples where I've done this before, where I've ended up in a conversation with someone, and uh, they'll say things from, I've heard, or, do you think I'm going to hell? I mean, people have asked me those types of questions in these conversations, and my response to them is always the same thing. Well, it's not what I think that actually matters. See, I've changed my views since I was 19 years old and became a Christian. It's no longer about what I think. It's about what God thinks, and that's why I believe Scripture. So what does the Bible say? And then I explain to them, here's what the Bible says. This is not my opinion. This is not my version. This is not my view. I didn't wake up in the morning and want to think this or that to express myself towards people that I somehow feel like I need to disagree with. If the Bible didn't say it, then I wouldn't think it. If the Bible didn't teach it, then I wouldn't believe it. But the Bible does teach it. And the Bible also teaches, along with the truth about sexuality, it teaches how I am supposed to be towards people. And it is extremely possible that on one hand, I hold this tension where I can love someone explicitly and completely and completely disagree with their worldview. I can disagree with their thoughts. I can disagree with their sexual expression. I can disagree with how they view um, men and women 
and gender and social constructs and their ideologies and the things that they think are true for society and how we ought to go forward. I can completely disagree with them, but I can still have a conversation where I can make a point without making an enemy because ultimately my goal is to reach people for Christ and Jesus loves people and we don't have to clean ourselves up before we come to him. We come to him and he cleans us up from the inside out. And that is the way that I view it. So there is no reason that I should have to try to defend anything because I know that I was not different and I was not changed and God didn't set me free of my own sexual sin until I came to Christ. And even as a Christian, we're going to have sexual temptation. There is brokenness. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve disobeyed God and they ate from the tree, which God said, do not eat, and if you eat, you're going to die, the first thing that they did was they looked at each other and they saw that they were naked. I mean, sexual brokenness starts in the beginning of our disobedience. We could see that we were naked, and there was shame that came upon Adam and Eve when they saw each other's nakedness. They were married. They were husband and wife, and they couldn't even look at each other's nakedness, which before it says they had no shame, but now it says that they had shame and they covered themselves. And I believe that we've been trying to cover ourselves uh, ever since that time. And what happens in sexual deviancy is that we uncover ourselves and we say, well, I don't care. And this is who I am. And this is, this is how I am. No, this is, this, this is how you feel. And this, these are your thoughts and these are your temptations, but God has a better way. And that's what Christians are trying to say based on scripture. And can I just add Christians? I don't know what all Christians say, but from, from my heart, nobody's saying it's easy. Nobody's saying um, to have sexual purity, it's easy. Nobody's saying to say no to sexual desires and temptations, whether they be homosexual or anything else, that somehow that's just an easy path. If you just believe what I do and you just accept what I'm saying today, you'll never have a struggle. You'll never have a temptation. It's going to be easy and uh, it's supposed to be. I don't know anybody that believes that. What we're saying is, is that until we accept the truth, until we believe what the Bible says, we're not going to lock into even how we're going to pray. So how do you even pray if you haven't locked into a view, a, a biblical worldview where you're saying, God, this is a feeling I have. This is a thought that I have. Would you help me with this? You're not even going to pray for God's strength and help if you don't believe what the Bible says. You're just going to walk through and struggle through and give yourself over to the thing that you're feeling or you're tempted by. And I, again, would say that as Christians, for those of us that are, we need to learn how to be respectful. We need to learn how to be loving. We need to learn how to be kind and patient and listen, uh, but also explain ourselves. And that's where it's, it's less proclamation and it's more or ec uh, explanation. That's how we need to roll in the days ahead. Uh, the fourth thing I wanted to say, I know it sounds like a teaching is, is awesome. I just want to write down a few things for you, is God can bring transformation. When a gay person or a person that has unwanted same-sex attraction turns to Christ, they're given the Holy Spirit just like anybody else. The Holy Spirit can and often does transform people. That's not a popular message today with uh, gay conversion therapy. People are very against these uh, types of things. And everything actually, by the way, is labeled gay conversion therapy. All right, just to be very, very clear, there are actually conversion therapies out there that uh, that have people have said are not helpful for those that have same-sex attraction. I, I can't attest to that. I'm certain that there are. I'm sure that there are people that have tried to help people uh, pray the gay away, and it, it was not helpful. It was wrong the way that they did it, the way that they went about it. I'm sure that's the case. But it doesn't take away the fact that there are 
all kinds of uh, deliverance prayers and perspectives from the Bible that talk about repentance and restoration and transformation that should not be considered gay conversion therapy. So this has become like this umbrella term, gay conversion therapy, that everything can be thrown in there where anybody that ever tries to change a gay person... Uh, is this is gay conversion therapy, and it is so wrong, and it is so damaging, and it leads people to suicide. That is just completely unfair, and it, and we need to sparse that out quite a bit. What we're talking about is the Bible teaches us that we come to God in faith and repentance. We ask God for transformational power. We understand from Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, chapter 4, that it clearly talks about how where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and He is conforming us into the image of His Son. We are growing from glory to glory, from faith to faith, and we are continuing to be conformed to the image of Christ, and God is at work in sanctification according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and many other passages of the Bible. God is continually walking us into freedom. He is continually walking us into His design for our lives. And when a person is not transformed automatically, instantaneously, or even progressively, if you still have same-sex attraction, which is very true for many people, you can trust God. That's what, that's the message. Ben, what am I supposed to do? You're supposed to trust the Lord, just like everybody else. We have to give our temptations to God day by day, month by month, year by year. Give them to God. If you're struggling with pornography, give it to God. I've, I have literally wrestled with people for years in their pornography addictions, and three years later, today, they're walking free. There are people watching this right now, and you know who you are, and I walked with you. I pleaded with you. I told you to stay open. Walk in the light as He is in the light. Confess your sins to one another. And I would say the same thing to anybody that is struggling with homosexual temptation. We have to confess our sins, confess our thoughts. We have to ask people to pray for us. We have to continually walk in the light as He is in the light, and the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The same is true for everyone else. It's true for those that struggle with this particular temptation. And I have wrestled with all kinds of people in these areas, and I have watched God, not not just instantaneously or immediately, but over a period of years, I've watched God set people free from all kinds of sexual sin and sexual expression. And can I also just say right now, for those of you that are struggling with any kind of sexual sin, if you're watching pornography, if if you can't stop masturbating, if you're sleeping around, if you're committing fornication, if you are secretly having an affair, first of all, I want to tell you not just to stop, I want to tell you you can stop. You absolutely absolutely can stop today. The power of the Holy Spirit is greater than you might know. But we have to practice what the Bible teaches. We have to confess our sins to one another. We have to confess our sins to God. We have to believe that God can transform us by the power of the Holy Spirit and the strength of His Word. If we do not fully buy in to what the Bible says, we will not place our faith in what God says is true and right. And this is where I start. When people come into my office and they say, Pastor Ben, I'm struggling with temptation. I'm struggling with looking at pornography. I'm struggling with the first question I ask them, and I'm going to ask you this today, is do you believe that God can change you? And I, and I don't move beyond that question. Do you believe that God can change you? Because if you can't say yes, that is the first thing that we are going to solidify in your discipleship. If God can't change you, then we're going to waste our time with all the things that we're going to say and do. You have to start there. And it has to be a biblical perspective. God can change people. And I know right now, this is not popular to say to anybody that has homosexual temptation. It's like you're not supposed to tell people that struggle with this, that God can change them. Well, I think the Bible says God can 
change you. So I'm going to say God can change you. If he does not initially, he can eventually. And that's called progressive sanctification. We have lost these doctrines in the church and we are not applying them to these touchy topics, but all topics are the same to God and he can walk with us. He can help us. He can cleanse us. And he is enough for us. Friend, if you never stop having same-sex attraction, Jesus is always going to be enough for you, period. And that is the truth between, between now and the day that we go to meet him. Our identity is found in him, not our sexuality. It is all about Christ. It is all about following Jesus. So we have to give our sexuality to him because he gave it to us. He did not give us the deviancy of it. He did not give us the sinful nature aspect of it. He did not give us the temptations to deviate from what he has designed us for. So we give back the sinful part and he atones for it. He cleanses it. He washes us. And if you have to do that every day, do that every day. Do that every day. Walk with him. Please the Lord. Please the Lord by giving him back what he gave to you. And the sinful aspect of it, you realize he did not give to you. And that's the part of our brokenness in our humanity that comes from the sinful nature. As you give that to him, he will continually wash you clean. And that's what we're looking for. God brings transformation. And we should not be ashamed to share that. But we cannot condemn each other in the process. And that's far too often what happens is we make people feel shame for not being there overnight. I mean, that's crazy. That's like a... That's like a father and mother getting upset at their four-year-old for not acting like a 25-year-old. I mean, they just can't. The process of growing from four to five to seven to nine to 10 to 11, a father and mother are invested in the development of their children and they're to be there to parent them into maturity. And as pastors and leaders and disciple makers and people who are trying to help others that maybe struggle with something you don't, you have to recognize that our job is to help people grow into spiritual maturity. And it's not to exhaust them or to exacerbate them or to make them feel guilty every time they fall. We have to make them feel like... Uh, like like a hero, like they're courageous when they're open. And I've walked with so many people and you know who you are if you've been in my life and I've made you feel courageous every time you've opened yourself up and you've confessed your sin because every time we do that and we come to the Father, He cleanses us and He helps us and He walks with us and He washes us. So that's the kind of community we want to develop is openness and love and honesty and transparency where people are not penalized for being honest. And it doesn't mean we, we're not glorifying sin by doing that. In fact, what we're doing is we're saying sin is wrong and we want it out of our lives. And that goes for everybody, every struggle. The fifth and final thing that I want to share with you today on our podcast is our job is to love well. When Jesus told us to love God and love people, he meant it. You know what I mean? Like He just meant it. He wanted us to learn how to love God. And that takes a life, uh, that, that takes an entire life to learn how to do that. Loving people is not natural in the flesh. It comes from the nature of God. He loves us so much. He died, uh, Christ died while we were yet sinners. And we have to learn how to be there for people no matter what their struggle might be. And every story matters. I want to learn to listen. Every story matters. I want to learn to listen to people's stories, uh, what they think, what they feel, how they got to where they got. As I help people in discipleship, I, I always say this, feelings are real. They're not always right, but they do matter. And we don't want to suppress our feelings and our thoughts and our expression and our stories and how we got to where we are today. A lot of people are, are, are broken or damaged. In fact, all of us to some degree are. We're all sexually broken. And for us to become sexually healthy, we have to have transparency and honesty and openness and safe places for people to talk. And I pray that as Christians, we just get better and better at this, where people can feel like they can talk to us without us reprimanding them. And we, don't, we, we want to be quick to love. And we want to be patient and explaining. 
And if we're quick to love and patient in our explanation, what I, what I think we'll find is we'll find that people will trust us more and that the power of the Holy Spirit will work through us in such a way that it reveals the sanctification process we've been on and what God is inviting other people into, is that you can get on the conveyor belt of health and healing and wholeness, and God will do His work just like He's doing in us. We are a living testimony, and we are living evidence, evidence and an example of what God can do. And the more open we are about and honest we are about our own struggles and how God is working in us and through us and with us, the more people will have hope for the change and transformation that is possible in their lives as well. So I want us to be friends with people who say they're gay. I want us to be friends with people who say they're same-sex attracted or uh, or whatever they might say, even those that are transgender or whatever, and we're not put off by people. Uh, we're not judging them automatically. We're, we're, we're actually advocating for them to know the Lord and by loving them, by being for, being for them and with them. But it does not mean that we agree with behavior. It does not mean that we agree with worldview. It does not mean we agree with lifestyle. And there is a way for us to journey into people's lives without compromising what we believe as Christians. And sometimes that means that up front, while we're not going to deceive anybody and act like we don't believe what we do, but we want to, you know, love first. And that's really my philosophy of life based on scripture. I want to love first and and I'm going to explain second, and I'm never ashamed or afraid to do that. And that's why I'm doing this today. You know, I know when we send this podcast out, just because of the nature of how the world is today, you could get more unlikes than likes. I'm not sharing this for that. I'm not sharing these truths and this important issue because I want people to just agree with me and say, heck yes, Pastor Ben, thank you for saying what we all have waited for somebody to say. There are a lot of people that are teaching truths like this out there and doing a better job than anything I'm going to share today. But the reality is, is are we loving well? while we're teaching truth. Jesus is full of grace and truth, and we want to have that equal balance of both as we see people come to Christ. And with that, I want to uh, stop um, and close our podcast today about a Christian perspective on homosexuality by saying this. Let's pray that God would give us more relationships with people that are struggling with all kinds of things that we're unfamiliar with. I personally don't struggle with homosexual desires or thoughts and never have. So I can't fully understand where somebody's coming from when they say that they do. And so I want more relationships with people so that I can talk to them, that I can hear them, and that I can minister to them. And we can learn together how it is that we minister to things that maybe we're unfamiliar with. And that's what I've loved about just not being afraid to be, become friends with people. And as I do that, God opens up doors and there's healing waters that flow in through those openings where we're willing to just engage the world that we're a part of. Don't be afraid to do that. Listen to me. Don't be afraid to engage the world around you and where you're unfamiliar with things that you don't personally, you've never had to deal with in your life. Become friends with people, love well, and move towards those that maybe you don't understand or aren't like you. And watch how God will just open doors in the places of our faith. That's what he's doing for me, and I believe that's what he's going to do for you. Hey, God bless you today. Thank you for tuning in. Join us next Monday as we drop another episode with a special guest. Not going to tell you who it is. You just got to show up. God bless you. See you next week.